You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Boy, it's um, so wonderful to worship with you last night and this morning. Uh, you know, I, I often just take note when I'm traveling in the worship service how much Jesus is exalted. Because it's amazing how many other subjects we can sing about and never either mention him by name or by subject. And then it always gets my attention when we sing about his death, about the power of his blood. When I came to Faith 71, little Italian Pentecostal church, we sang the old hymns. And there was a lot like power in the blood, a lot of songs about the blood. And especially if you didn't know what we were singing about, it's brand new. It was an odd thing to be singing about. I mean, we're so used to it, but you come in from another background, not raised in the faith, and why are we singing about the blood so much? But you, you realize, wow, the, the Lord's really on those songs. He really draws attention to them. So, uh, and, and then on the road, so many churches write their own songs now, and there's so much new music. I'm constantly hearing new songs for the first time. And uh, I just noticed last night and today, three different Jesus-exalting death-resurrection Songs, that's more than some churches sing in a month. Seriously. So keep, as you do that, man, the Lord, you can, you can tell the Lord's smile on that. Quick story. Uh, I was part of a, a Messianic Jewish congregation from 87 to 93. And there, just like in all of our other circles, there are a lot of things to sing about, and sometimes you neglect the cross. It could just happen in, in all of our circles. Maybe we're, we're just singing about the power of the Spirit or singing about our hunger for God or, or singing about God's promises to Israel or something, and it's all good. But, but sometimes we, we take our eyes off that, and it just happened to be a service where the, the, the worship is kind of dull. And just around the building, we just started sitting down, you know, just kind of s- slowing down a little in our focus. And, and uh, suddenly the worship leader just began to sing Crown Him With Many Crowns. It was a Messianic congregation. So a lot of the songs were now kind of translated into a Jewish form. And you didn't sing the old hymns so much. You kind of rewrote them, you know, with different terminology, singing about Messiah rather than Christ and things, just to make it more understandable for a Jewish audience. And I remember as he began to sing Crown Him With Many Crowns, a hymn that just totally broke with the style of everything else, suddenly everyone began to stand. There was a sense of awe and honor as we were singing today, it just it transported me to think about that day when Jesus is exalted. You know, our hero, our king, and just the celebration and every eye on him and the glory of that moment. That's, that's what we live for. And as we exalt him, God smiles on that. He really does. So what a joy to be with you. And uh, thanks for the, the invitation. As I said last night, it's your, your hunger for God's presence and revival and your, your outreach to the younger generation that drew me here. And glad we could have this time together. So glad to see some of our friends came over from Des Moines. Uh, as I was on the radio Friday, I realized, wait a second, it's Iowa, it's got, everything's gotta be pretty close, right? It's the same state. <laughs> so, so glad to see folks that made the, the trip over as we've been on radio in Des Moines for, for many, many years. Okay, two things super quick. And then we'll get into the word. And then literally, I don't want to be rude, but I won't be able to greet anyone because i got to get straight out the door and straight to the airport to get straight home, all right? 
So I'm not being rude if I walk past you or anything like that. It's just a flight to catch. Two quick things. Uh, we can just put the, the QR code up. Uh, we are going back to Israel, finally, after having to postpone trips and then finally cancel uh, May of 2023. If you're interested in finding out about this, uh, just grab your phone and take a picture of that. If you say, I have no idea how to do that, just go to our website, askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. If you don't know what a website is, ask someone. <laughs> askdrbrown.org. You'll find it on the homepage. But you can just take a picture of that. Uh, we won't, we will, we'll have two buses or less in terms of total people, so it's, it's intimate. Uh, we get not only the amazing tour by day, but I like to do stuff with folks at night. So we'll do a Q&A or a teaching or a live radio show or have a worship night or bring in local messianic leaders. So it's, it's the, the best of everything, uh, day and night, incredible. And uh, last tour, I, I got to the old city of Jerusalem ahead of everyone else just because of the way schedule worked. And so I was waiting for them as they arrived. I got there a little before as, as they arrived as we were coming to, to the wall to pray. And it's just... I'm always staggered every time I'm there, even though I've been there so many times, but just watching everyone walk up and eyes open, it's amazing. So if you want to go, grab that. And then one other thing, I didn't bring uh, any of my materials with me. Uh, got a lot of books that you'll find tremendously relevant, speaking to the cultural issues of the day, talking to us about how to navigate our faith and walk. So let's just throw the other slide up there. You can go to my website today or tomorrow, and anything you want to order whether you want to get Christmas presents for people or just order stuff for yourself, uh, there's a 15% discount, all right? So just use that LIFE15. Uh, anything that you order on our website, uh, take advantage of the discount. The more, the better. We love to pour these out for you. Uh, I always feel God stir me to write more than anything else I do. And I, as soon as a book comes out, it feels like the baby's born. I've had over 40 babies so far, but it feels, it's always this tremendous excitement, and they want to get it into people's hands, and then hearing the impact it has uh, really blesses us. So go to the website, askdrbrown.org. We are uh, launching a completely revamped, improved website tomorrow, in fact, so you can check that out as well. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for your people here. I thank you for their love for you that this was not just a ritual gathering out of habit, that there's passion and hunger and desire. And, and Lord, I, I wanna speak in that old tradition as a dying man to dying men is never sure to speak again. Lord, let this word be deposited in hearts and make an eternal impact. May it be something that stays with your people here for many years to come. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1 as we speak about contending for the promises. Contending for the promises. We are completely used to the story of the death and resurrection of Jesus. We know that the crucifixion was just for a time that the burial was just for a time, and that the resurrection followed. But the disciples didn't know that. And when Jesus died, they thought it was all over. 
They thought that everything they believed wasn't true after all. I mean, think, it, it felt like a fantasy. It felt like a dream. It felt like a movie. It's happening. He's healing the sick. He's driving out demons. No one's ever spoken like him. He's brought the kingdom of God with him. He's even raised the dead. He's the promised one. He's the Messiah. All the things that our people have been praying for for centuries, they're about to come to pass. We're going to be delivered from our enemies. This is it. He's the one. And we've been chosen to follow him. Think of how the apostles felt. It's incredible. We're nobodies. We're nothing. We've been chosen to follow him, and we've been sent out, and we're doing the same things that he did. We're laying our hands on sick people. We're driving out demons. We're announcing the kingdom of God is near. This is it. And then he dies. He doesn't just die. He, he dies a gruesome criminal's death, the most shameful, barbaric death known in the ancient world. It's over. Even though he had told them many times, I'm going to die and rise, they didn't get it. They couldn't process it. it made no sense to them. You're the Messiah. You're going to rule and reign. And, and, and they were not just disappointed. They were fearful. It's over. You ever been praying for someone's healing, contending for their healing, and believing they're going to be healed, and then the report comes, they're dead. It's over. No, no, it can't. It, it's over. That's what happened. There was crucifixion before there was resurrection, which means there was the crucifixion of their dreams, the crucifixion of their hopes. It meant death to everything that they had been living for these years. It's over. And then he rises. That's often what happens in our own lives, friends, with our hopes, with our dreams, with the promises of God. Many times we will go through a deep, dark valley before we see the realization. Many times there will be a crucifixion before there's a resurrection. Therefore, there must be contending for the promises of God. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to read some other scripture, but I'm going to jump in here in verse 18. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. It could well have been when Timothy was set aside for ministry. It's mentioned in the fourth chapter, and hands were laid on him, and spiritual gifts were given to him. It could have been that prophecies were spoken over him, and, and it was a, a notable moment, and therefore people remembered the prophecies, and Timothy remembered the prophecies. It could also be referring to over the course of his life, there were prophecies that were made about him, and Paul was familiar with them as well. So I'm giving you this command, Timothy, in keeping with the promises once made about you, so that by recalling them, you might fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom, I'm handed, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. So by recalling the prophecies, you can fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience. It's important to understand that what God wants from us more than anything else is that we trust him. 
that we recognize who he is and that he is trustworthy. Faith is not just an abstract thing. It's not some test like a college exam. It's, it's rather, do we really believe God? In other words, do we really believe that he is trustworthy? Do we really believe that he is faithful? Do we really believe that he has the power to bring about what he's promised? That's why faith is so important. It's not like an exercise, how high can I jump? How fast can I run? How much faith can I exercise? No, it's, it's a matter of throwing ourselves on him. What do we think about God? How do we feel about his character? How reliable is he? How good is he? How powerful is he? That's why faith is so important. And when we realize that God responds to faith, that, that God wants us to get into this position of, of leaning on him and trusting, on, trusting fully in him, then we realize that he's going to stretch us in many ways. And he's going to bring us through different situations to, to make us more people of faith. He will shape and order things in our lives to bring us to that place of greater dependence. And then the more we depend on him, the more we walk in the realm of all things are possible. The things that he's given us to do that are so beyond us, the promises he's made that are so beyond us, we walk in this realm of all things are possible. I was with some friends that support our ministry in prayer. We were in Texas and just started exchanging faith stories stories of provision, and stories of God saying, step out. And they asked me, did I know this story about a family of graduated from our ministry school, the husband did, big family, and they had stepped out in faith ministry together. God just called them out to go having nothing. This is a big family. And God miraculously worked on their behalf. I mean, they fasted, they prayed, they obeyed the Lord. They were anything but lazy. But God called them to step out together. And this couple said, do you know this story that, that happened with them in the place where they're living, living in another country now? I said, no, I haven't heard that story. And I knew this family well because we worked closely together in, in, in different cities in the past, and, and I saw God's hand on their lives and their faithfulness and how he provided for them. But they were in a very run-down house. It was the place that God had given them. And there was no way that they had money to get it in, in, in an acceptable way to live. Even though the husband was a handyman and all this, they needed about $50,000 in order to revamp the place so it could be livable. Otherwise, the setting was a great setting, but the place where they were living was lousy. And the husband, in a rare moment of having a bad attitude, began to gripe. And we can't do this, and I can't do this, and we don't have enough money. So his wife said, well, why not do what you can do? You start to rip this out. You can start to do, do what you can do. So he starts ripping some things out, rips out some floorboards under some old boiler. True story. These are friends of ours. And what does he find? This is old place. What does he find under the boiler, under the floorboards? $50,000 in gold coins. I mean, it's, it's completely crazy stuff. But I've seen folks on the front lines. I've, I've seen the, the work... That, that, that were associated with in India. 
and, and how they've lived and cared for thousands of people, fed thousands of people, served the poorest of the poor for years. And when you ask, where does it come from? God just does it. There's, there's this realm where you can just walk on water because it's God, but that comes through growing in faith. It comes through learning to depend on him. And often along the way, we get stretched. And then often along the way, it looks like it's not going to happen. Therefore, fight the good fight based on the prophecies. They will be challenged. Every great purpose that God has for your life will be challenged. Everything he wants to do through you of any significance, there will be opposition. In fact, if you experience zero opposition to the calling and purpose of God, then you're doing something wrong. (laughs) Because when you're doing something right, there will be opposition. And if you can figure out how to bring to pass everything that God has called you to do, then your vision is too small. Every situation God calls me into, I'm in over my head. Everything he gives me to do, I cannot do in my own power, which means either he helps us or it doesn't happen. And when I try to make it happen in the natural, he makes sure it goes nowhere. What about the promises? What about the prophecies? Go with me to Psalm 105. It's a fascinating passage that many of us have read right past Not only so, sometimes it's not translated accurately in our Bibles. Psalm 105, speaking about the early history of Israel, Jacob and his sons. Now verse 16, he, God, called down famine on the land and destroyed all their supplies of food. And he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons until what he foretold came to pass. And the second half of the verse should be translated to what he foretold came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The word of the Lord tried him. In other words, as he was a prisoner in Egypt, as he sat there in chains, the very promises that God had given him became a test to him. Joseph, what about the promises? Remember, he had had dreams. He was just 17 years old, and he tells his brothers, God showed me I'm going to be the highest one. You're all going to bow down to me. Even mom and dad are going to bow down to him. He genuinely had visions from God and dreams from God, but he didn't have the wisdom to keep his mouth shut. I've been there, done that. So his brothers get jealous. They ended up selling him into slavery. What happened to your dreams, Joseph? What are you going to do with your dreams now? And it goes from bad to worse because he's, he's honorable and righteous and refuses the, the adulterous uh, attempts of, of his master's wife. She accuses him of trying to rape her, he ends up now in a dungeon. It goes from bad to worse. Now he has favor as a prisoner, great, but you're in a dungeon, you're gonna die. Joseph, you're a foreigner accused of rape, you're gonna die in a dungeon in Egypt. What about those dreams, Joseph? The very promises, the very words that God gave him now test him. 
You ever been through that? So what do you think if you're Joseph? You're there in prison, chained to a wall. What about, oh yeah, and your brother's gonna bow down to you, Joseph. Oh yeah, parents are gonna, you're gonna be the big man, you're gonna be highly exalted, Joseph. Right. So what do you think? I guess it was not God. I, I guess I, I didn't hear from God. I guess he never spoke that at all. I, I, was so, I was so sure, but I guess I was wrong. But then it, it keeps churning in your heart. No, Joseph, you weren't wrong. You know that was God. You know those dreams were real. You know those promises were real. And I, I must have exaggerated. That's it. I must, God must have spoken this, and I exaggerated it. I remember mid-80s getting ready to go to a hospital to pray for someone that was very sick. And I would often feel full of faith before I went in the hospital, but the moment I walked in the hospital, I would just feel like faith disappeared. Something would happen, and I would just kind of lose that sense of focus and confidence. So I was just praying and picturing, okay, I'm gonna walk in that hospital in Jesus' name, and I'm gonna go up to that sick bed. I'm gonna pray, and they're gonna be healed right at that moment. And then I thought, what if there's someone else in the room? I thought, I'm going to go to them, and they're going to be healed in Jesus' name. I'm going to preach to them, and they're going to be healed. And then before I know it, my mind just starts racing. And, and in my mind's eye, I'm walking down the, the corridors of the hospital with my hands raised, and everyone in every room is being instantly healed. I, 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 it was fantasy. It wasn't real. It never happened. But, but, but my mind just ran off. Joseph, that's what happened to you. God showed you something little and you made it something big. You exaggerated. But the more he'd spend before the Lord, more time and just sitting there alone in that prison, it's like, no, I, I didn't exaggerate. That was God. And then that voice comes back, that was God, that's true. But you didn't pray enough, Joseph. You see, if you had prayed more, it would have happened. The promises were real, but you didn't pray enough. If you had prayed enough, that would have happened. Or a variation on that, oh, the promises really were from God, but you sinned, you blew it. You opened your mouth, and you talked about it, therefore it's not gonna come to pass. Oh, you remember that wrong thing you did? You disqualified yourself. But the problem is, as the weeks go on, those promises keep rising in your heart again as if they're not done, as if you didn't exaggerate, as if you didn't miss the moment. And it's a constant test and trial because everything in your circumstances says it's not going to happen and yet the promise remains and keeps burning. It's a test, it's a trial. Until the word comes to pass, it tests you. When God spoke to me the early spring of 1983, that I would serve as a leader in a revival that would touch the world. I knew it was real. I mean, initially, it seemed crazy. We had just been through a difficult situation in my home church, and the, the outpouring of the spirit that came through me was rejected by other leaders. We had to leave. Now we're just in a, a difficult position. And in the midst of that, the Holy Spirit speaks this word to me, Initially, I thought, you're crazy. You've lost it. You've gone off the deep end. You are officially deceived. 
But the more time I'd spend with the Lord, the more the fire would burn and the more he'd make that real to me. So I thought, all right, I, I gotta test this. 1983, so I'm still in my 20s. I'm at that point 28 years old, finishing my PhD work at New York University. Done some preaching over the years, but basically unknown, and I'm getting this word, I'm gonna serve as a leader in a revival that's gonna touch the world, are you crazy? So I thought, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna call two leaders. One of them is an elder, an outside elder from the church that I just had to leave. He's gonna have a negative impression of me. The other is a pastor of the church I've now started going to. And he may be positive, but I'm gonna tell him what I believe God spoke to me and see what they say. So I call the first brother, expecting him to correct me or rebuke me or tell me I'm wrong. And I didn't have the heart to tell him the whole thing. I said to him, I feel that God showed me I'm gonna serve as a leader in a revival that's gonna touch the nation, touch America. You know what he says to me? Why just America? Why not the whole world? Are you kidding me? And then he says, the only thing that matters is the roll call in heaven. In other words, the only thing that matters is what God says, not what people say. Okay, I call the other pastor. I tell him. He rebukes me. He said, don't ever go to man again for something God told you. Very similar to what the first man had said. I, I couldn't shake it. And, and then God began to work miraculously. He told me to quit my job and go teach at a Bible school. That came to pass. It was like a, a series of miracles of God's backing and provision. And then one thing after another in the years that followed confirmed that he had spoken this. And it became more and more real. And he connected me with, with key leaders, revival leaders and key churches and, and opened up massive doors. I knew it was gonna happen. Everything was on target. Bigger doors opening, getting closer and closer to the promise being connected with, with key men of God that were revival leaders. It's all gonna come to pass and then it got delayed longer than I expected. And you begin to think, how long? I would preach on revival for years and have altar calls with the altars filled with people crying out for revival. And you think, how long, when's it gonna happen? Everywhere I'd go out to minister, we'd do series of meetings. I'd start Sunday morning. So Sunday morning, Sunday night, then Monday, Tuesday. Try to minister to leaders in the region on a Monday morning and get to as many as I could. And we'd have people on their faces crying out, wailing, fasting, seeking God. When's it gonna happen? I remember being in Scotland, ministering there. It was 1994. It was a regional gathering of, of different churches They'd come together, it wasn't a large gathering because we were not a lot of big churches around there, but people had come from a number of different churches. And I remember it was, it was a tile floor. It wasn't a carpet floor. The reason I remember it so distinctly was I preached a message on seeking the Lord. And when the message ended, everyone just fell to their knees on these chairs and began to pray. And next thing people began to weep. And as I walked around the building, just praying, I saw all these puddles of tears on the floor because there's nothing to absorb them. And I remember thinking, Lord, how long? How long before the breakthrough? Your people are hungry and they're thirsty and they're crying out and they're desperate and only you can bring the answer. How long? 
And then I began to hear reports of God moving here and God moving there. And I thought, could this be the thing I've been praying for all these years? That would be wonderful. But I thought I was going to be in the middle of it. And you go through it. Well, maybe you didn't really hear God after all. Maybe you did hear God and you exaggerated. You've done that before. Maybe you heard God, but yeah, you could have prayed more. You could have fasted more. It was God, but you missed it. Or, yeah, remember you said, ah, see, it was God. But, but then the thing keeps coming up and the promise keeps coming up. And what do you do with it? You only have one thing. Oh, God, you promised. Lord, I'd walk away from this in a minute, but you're the one who initiated it. You're the one who told me this about my child. You're the one who told me this about the ministry we're doing. You're the one who gave me this word. He loves it when we go to him and say, God, you promised. He loves it when we go to him and say, Lord, this is about your reputation. This is not something I want. This is not something for my ego. This is not something to fulfill a need in me. This is about what you promised for your glory, for your purpose. He loves when we do that. There's a famous story from the Hebrides revival, 1949 to 1952. God was mightily using a man named Duncan Campbell. If you listen back, you can still get online and hear some of his sermons. It is the exact opposite of a hyped-up emotional preacher. It's, it's, it's kind of like, and God came to the Hebrides. A friend of mine in England said that his mother had come to faith through his ministry, and so he knew of Duncan Campbell when he was younger, and he said just when he would say, God, the fear of God came in the room. But there had been people in the Hebrides praying. The people had been very churched, but they had gone dead. The, the young people were out of the churches, and a lot of the people were in church, but not saved. Very theologically grounded, but not walking with the Lord and knowing him. And these two sisters, one of them completely blind, they were in their 80s, the other bent over with arthritis. They had been praying and gathered others, gathered some young people, some pastors, and they would pray through the night for revival to come. And they felt God gave them a promise from Isaiah 44 that as he poured out water on the thirsty land, he would pour out his spirit on them, a promise to Israel. They felt he was speaking to them. And, and they felt Duncan Campbell was the man to come and be used by God. So they wrote to him, and he wrote back saying, I would love to come but I cannot, I'm already booked to be speaking in another convention. And the blind sister said to her, sister, man says he's not coming, God says he's coming. They just knew it. And then the meeting that they were supposed to have got canceled. They didn't have rooms available in the city where they were gonna have it, it gets canceled. Duncan Campbell's able to come and immediately God begins to pour out his spirit mightily. I mean, extraordinary stories, sovereign stories. God just coming down and, and all over the place, people coming to repentance and faith. And, and, and the first six weeks on the, on the island of Lewis, the parish of Barvis, Campbell estimated that 75% of the people that came to faith came to faith outside of a church service. It was God coming down in their home, God coming down in their community. So now they go over to another location and there's tremendous resistance there. The churches in that, in that city, that town, that island, 
They were resistant to the revival. They were so resistant that when they heard Campbell was meeting, they brought in people from, from, from Scotland, from the mainland, they brought in pastors to speak against the revival. So Campbell's gonna be over here holding meetings and they're gonna have their own counter meetings. That's how much resistance there was. And Campbell goes to preach, the church building is filled, but it's people from other parts of the Hebrides that have come. Locally, there's tremendous resistance. And they finish the meeting, nothing really happens, no real breakthrough. It's suggested, why don't we go over to this home and pray? It's a granite building. They go over there and begin to pray. And midnight, Duncan Campbell feels led to ask the blacksmith to lead in prayer. And the man pours out his heart for 30 minutes. Think of that. 30 minutes of prayer. And he comes to the end. And he says, God, I don't know the condition of other people's hearts. I don't even know the condition of Mr. Campbell's heart. Just praying honestly to God. But he said, Lord, you promised, you promised to pour out water on the thirsty land. That, that word from God had become real to them. You promised to pour out water on the thirsty land and you're not doing it. And then he paused. He said, don't you know that your honor is at stake? This is about your word, this is about your reputation, this is about your promise. Don't you know that your honor is at stake? And he paused again. And then with great reverence, he said, I challenge you to keep your covenant commitments. And at that moment, the building shook. People thought an earthquake. Campbell immediately thought Acts 431 when they prayed, the place was shaken. They fall on their faces and worship for another couple of hours. It's now past two in the morning. They get up to go home. And in every single house in the community, lights have been turned on and people are crying out to God for mercy. He just came down. He just visited. People began to cry out for mercy. That they that men were putting chairs on their backs and walking over to the church building saying, when did the services start? They were gonna sleep there overnight until the service, the doors opened. The fire fell. God loves it when we say, Lord, this is about your reputation. The name of Jesus has been stained in America because of the scandals of the church. The name of Jesus has been stained because we have married the gospel to politics as opposed to having an influence of salt and light in the culture while being involved in politics. We've married the gospel of politics. Many, many Christians, especially young Christians or just people in the world, they know us better for our political affiliation than for our love for Jesus. The name of Jesus has been stained. The lack of power manifest in the church, the lack of holiness manifest in the church that stained the name of Jesus. And God is jealous for the reputation of his son. God, what about your son's reputation? What about a generation that's grown up without encountering your power? What about your promises? He loves it when we go to him. When God called me to serve as a leader in the Brownsville Revival, after all that agonizing and fasting and praying and crying out, and then towards the end, the, those years of questioning, Lord, did I really hear, was it really you? Did I exaggerate? Did I miss the opportunity? 
when it finally happened and the things that he had promised me came to pass and people came from over 130 nations around the world and were dramatically, radically touched. Friends of mine that knew me from, from Long Island where I used to live, where God had spoken that word to me in 83, when they visited Pensacola, they said, Mike, you told us this was gonna happen. You told us you'd be part of this. And I remember going through those things saying, the next time that I have a promise from God, the next major thing he has spoken to me, I will never doubt it again. I will never doubt it the way I did this last one. Oh, I held on to it for years, but, but as time went on and it hadn't happened, you wonder, right? I mean, let's, let's just say that you're 18 years old, you're, you're a young woman, and the Lord has shown you that you're gonna be married with 10 kids of your own. And, and you'd like nothing more, you love kids, you have this calling to be a mom with a big family. You know, you're 18, you're wondering, yeah, but I don't even know who my husband is yet. And that's a lot of kids to have, but you're only 18. When you're 20, 22, and some of your friends are getting married and you still haven't met the right guy and any guy that's interested in you, you're not interested in them, and you start to want, well, did I really hear God? But you're still 20, 20, there's plenty of time. By the time you're 30 and still single, you're like, well, you were doing the math. How many kids would I have to have a year? I would have 10 kids unless I'm gonna be having kids when I'm 50 or 60. By the time you're 45 and still single, it's like, I obviously I didn't hear God. And then, you know, miraculously you meet the right guy and you're super fertile and everything's amazing. And 12 years later, you had your fifth set of twins and whatever, you know, it's just. <laughs> and you say to yourself, whatever God tells me, I'll never doubt. The only problem is the next round you're older. The, the next time around it's more impossible. And, and, and that's what's happened to me. God's given me promises, massive promises, shocking promises, impossible promises. And, and when he spoke them to me some years back, when, when he spoke them to me, oh, in the late 90s, hey, I was right in the midst of revival, right in the midst of seeing massive crowds coming from around the world and being dramatically touched. And I'd go out to, to speak at churches, never heard of me. And hours before the service, lines of people waiting to get in the building just because I was a speaker from the revival. It's like a dream. Flying in airports around the world and people just coming up in tears, God touched, God changed my life at that revival. Hey, whatever he speaks, I can believe. Whatever the promise, however large, I can believe it. But then it doesn't happen overnight. And then you start to get older. I mean, picture if the Lord had spoken to me when I was 18 years old that I would be a top NBA player. I, I did play freshman basketball in high school on the second team. And I was the epitome of the saying, white men can't jump. <laughs> but let's just say that I had this promise. Well, it seems outlandish, it seems impossible, but maybe, I mean, if God gave me some gift, if I kept growing some more, and if I had, I mean, it seems completely impossible, but, but who knows? Well, it, I mean, it's outlandish, it's one in a trillion possibility, it's, it's completely counterintuitive, but if God said it, who knows? 
It'd be one thing if he said it to me when I was 18. It'd be another thing if he said to me, Mike, I want you to believe for that now. Oh, yeah, right, at 67. Got it. Yes, sir. That's when you think, obviously, I'm not hearing God. The other day, a well-known man of God was on the phone with me and just talking about the things that he saw that God wanted to do through me bigger than I could imagine. And I've, I've got a vision for massive things. And he was speaking to me about this and this and this. Got off the phone and I was telling my wife, Nancy, I said, yeah, he was just sharing this and this and this. And she laughed. She said, when you're 90? Oh, in other words, if everything's going to happen, you've got to live a long time to see all that happen. We were smiling together. But God. The thing that's interesting is I remember being 18 years old and the enemy telling me, it's over. Your best days are behind you. You're like an old boxer that's, that's taken one too many punch, punches. 18, the lies are going to come at any age. And at any age, God wants us to believe him for the impossible. To believe him to do through us what we cannot do. I mean, if it's faith, it's faith. One brother is 100 years old now, missionary in Mexico, gifted fundraiser. He just come in and talk about eternity and talk about missions and talk about God's heart. And next thing, you just start giving money. It just, it was the most amazing thing. And God would supply. You'd make a pledge to do this and God would just supply. There was, there was just something about him. It was just life and joy and faith and stories. And, and you just wanted to, to give and, and God would move miraculously. And he used to say, hey, if you're in over your head, add another zero. <laughs> in other words, if the only way this could happen is with God's help, well, then believe him for even more. And I don't know how many millions and millions of dollars passed through his hand, but right through him to others. You bought him the nicest car in the world. He'd thank you for it as long as he could sell it and give it to missions. Boom. You know, if Peter had kept his eyes on Jesus walking on the water, pretty soon he would have seen, I could jump on the water. I could spin on the water. I could dance on the water because it's all by faith. God wants to bring us into a greater place of dependence. But the promises will be tried. The promises will be tested. And when I'm in his presence, I know that I know that everything he spoke to me will come to pass. And sure, there are things that, that I believe for to see happen in generations to come, as long as the Lord gives us time here. But there are other things I know I will see with my own eyes because God has spoken. It doesn't matter how impossible they are because God is good. Last passage, Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk is a contemporary of Jeremiah. And it's a dark day in the, the history of Israel and Judah. Habakkuk sees the evil in his country, the idolatry, the sin, and he cries out to God, what are you going to do about this? And God says, I'm going to send the Chaldeans, I'm going to send the Babylonians, and they're going to bring judgment. And when he sees the severity of the judgment coming on his own people, it's like, oh no, the cure is worse than the disease. The judgment that's going to come is, is worse than the sin in our midst. So it's a grievous, difficult time. Chapter 2, verse 1, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me 
and what answer I am to give to this complaint or what to answer when I'm rebuked. Look at this word from the Lord. Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it or so he may, he, the one who reads it may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks to the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. A verse that then Paul quotes in Romans and Galatians. The righteous will live by faith. Write down the revelation. Make it plain. Every time I see those words, make it plain, it reminds me of a story, 1986, I was preaching in an all-black congregation in Washington, D.C., about 600 people present. And even though I do intellectual academic work and have lectured at many seminaries and done high-level debates, my preaching has always been very simple, very direct. So I'm preaching away, and somebody in the congregation yells out, make it plain. And I thought to myself, I, I'm making it as plain as I know how. I'm simple, I'm clear, I'm direct. See, based on this response here, I'm, gonna, I'm around a lot of white folks here. I'll explain in a minute. Because if I was in a different setting, everybody would be smiling at me already. But you're going through the same thing I went through. Make it plain. How can I make it any more plain? I'm not using high-level vocabulary. I'm not getting into philosophically deep subjects. My sentence structure is simple. All right, bring it down some more. So I'm preaching away, and one of the elders on the platform yells out, make it plain. I'm thinking, I do not know how to make it any more plain. And then I realized, oh, wait a second. That means amen. Preach it, brother. Make it plain. Say it straight. I've shared that story in, in black congregations and they're all howling, laughing at me because I didn't get it, you know? But around a lot of white folk, you're like, well, I don't get it either. <laughs> but that always comes, make it plain. If God's spoken something to you, write it down. That same pastor, the church I started going to in 83, the one that rebuked me for going to man for what God had spoken to me, he asked me, do you journal? I said, no, he said, you need to start journaling. And I realized over the years the importance of that. Write it down. Why, because you're gonna forget it. I'll never forget this. You will forget it. I've, I've gone on regular prayer retreats now for, for, for last year plus, taking a weekend a month just to get along with the Lord and pray. And, and he'll often speak some things to me and, I, and I'm very careful to, to write them down. And, and he'll speak something to me so clear, so important, so definite. I'm thinking, wow, that's life-changing. I write it down. And then later in the prayer retreat, I go back through notes in the previous prayer retreats and think, he said the exact same thing to me six months earlier and I completely forgot. I was brand new when I got it then, brand new here. I remember God giving me a, a, an insight about something when I was teaching in a Bible school on Long Island in the mid-80s, and I heard clearly in my heart, don't say a word about this. I told Nancy, she said, hold on to that, don't say a word. One week later, I started telling the leader of the school about this word, which he wasn't happy with. 
And I told Nancy, she said, didn't God tell you that? I said, I forgot. It was one week. Don't say a word. Yes, Lord. One week later, I'm talking about it. Write it down. And I try to write it down the way I got it. In other words, if it was just a sense, a whisper, just I, I sense the Lord may be saying, and I write that down. If it's one of those things where I'm laying on my face, trembling in the presence of God, my whole being shaking, I will write it in bold and caps, and you know, God said this to me. Because I want to remember it, because it will be tested. There will be challenges. And over the course of life, as impossible as it seems, you will forget it. So write it down. Go back to the promises. Maybe you're my age and you just concluded some of the stuff's never going to happen. Well, maybe it's getting stirred again today. Maybe it's, maybe it's rising again. Go back. And God can put things together if you say, you don't understand, the person died that was involved or the situation ended. God's a redeemer. He can bring life out of death. He can, he can, he can turn things around in ways that are unexpected. He can bring in someone else to, to fill in the blanks. Maybe there are things that you were praying and worshiping last night that got stirred. Write it down. Hold on to it. Fight the good fight. Lord, you showed me I was supposed to be a super generous businessman. You showed me that, that I was supposed to give half of my money to, to help the poor and help missions. And Lord, we're about to go bankrupt. I can't even feed my own family. Fight the good fight based on the prophecies. Lord, you showed me there'd be revival all over the campus and hundreds of students would come to faith every year. Lord, we're not even seeing five people radically saved in a year. Lord, what about your promises? Go back to me. He loves that. Because you're saying, I, I refuse to stand where we are with the status quo because I know God is bigger. I refuse to accept the, the present situation as final because of the promises of a great God. I refuse to believe that all that God has ever promised is everything we're seeing, and this is it, and this is the end, and there's nothing more that we can expect. I refuse to believe that the God described in this book, as he reveals himself in a definitive, authoritative way, because this is the word of God, the one and only, this is the word of God. I refuse to believe that the God who describes himself in this book in such glory and majesty has fully worked in our midst and this is all we can ever expect of him. No, this very book tells me to expect more and believe more and be stretched more. In Luke 5, Jesus goes to teach and there's such interest, crowds around him that, that he has to go out in the boat so he won't be crushed. And then he teaches from out in the water on a boat. And then when they're done, he tells Simon Peter, go out in the deep, put the nets down. Well, Peter's a fisherman. And he says, Lord, we, we toiled all night and caught nothing. So they knew the right time to fish at night. They knew the right water to go into. They worked all night, caught nothing. Now Jesus is telling them at the wrong time of day to go into the, the deep water, the wrong place to fish. Lord, we toiled all night, caught nothing, but nevertheless, at your command, we'll do it. And they go out, and of course, you know the story. They begin to haul in fish. Nets begin to break. They call over friends. Another boat comes. Nets begin to break. Boats begin to sink. Think of it. Boats that are made to float sink because of so many fish. 
And the lesson from that is that the miracles of God are in the deep waters of obedience. And last year when I was saying, Lord, you promised this, you promised this, you promised this, but I'm not seeing this, I'm not seeing that, I'm not seeing that. Spirit spoke to me, why do you doubt? God reminded me, have I not done enough thus far? Have I not kept my promises thus far? Do you think I'm not gonna keep the rest? Because I don't, I don't want to deceive myself. I don't want to believe a lie. I don't want to believe in fantasy. I don't want to just psych myself up. But God is God. And he says to, to many of us, what do you doubt? Haven't I proved my faithfulness time and time again? So fight the good fight based on the prophecies. This is for many of you individually. but This is also for you as a church. I may see you again in the future. I may not. But I wanted to preach as if I'll never see you again and leave you a word, leave you a deposit. Take hold of the promises. Take hold of the promises. Don't let go until you see everything God has promised come to pass. He loves it when we believe him. What about your promises? All right, we're going to pray and turn things back over to the team here and then I'm literally out the door, all right? Father, I ask you to renew your promises to us today. Stir us afresh to the things that we've forgotten, the things we've walked away from, the things that we've said it'll never happen, it can't happen, or I disqualified myself. Stir those again. Give us fresh things, fresh words, things we've never heard before. As we press into you, may we live to see your glory fully manifest on this earth. May we live to see every one of your promises fulfilled for your honor and for your glory, for the reputation of Jesus his name. Amen. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.